Does anyone know what the fourth commandment is? Fourth. Sorry? Sabbath, yes. She knows because she knows I'm talking about the Sabbath today. Like, she, she, you didn't really know. Let me read to you (laughs) from Exodus chapter 20. This is where the Ten Commandments are, Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's the fourth commandment. And so that, that stems, that, that idea of a Sabbath stems from creation. And uh, I'd actually love to read that part, the creation part. We're just going to go through a few Sabbath readings really quickly here. And it's from Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 2. And it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from the work of creating that he had done. And it's interesting to note here that in Genesis, in Genesis 2, we read through the six days of creation, and every day has a morning and an evening. So it's kind of a start and an end to each of those days. But the seventh day, the Sabbath day that God rests on, doesn't have a morning and an evening. And a lot of Bible scholars, what they believe that this is meaning is that when we read about the Garden of Eden and we read about creation before the fall, that that is actually people living the Sabbath rest of God in Eden. And when we look to Eden, that that is the seventh day and the day that we were intended, and that's how we are to live. That's how we were intended to live in that Sabbath rest of God. And what we see in Eden is just a continuation of that seventh day. So God's seventh day rest continued on and humans were invited to participate in that seventh day Sabbath rest in the Garden of Eden. There was no sin. Adam and Eve had great relationship with one another and with God. And it says they walked with God in the cool of the day and that that is what we were intended for. But then sin enters the story in Genesis chapter 3 and we no longer have access to the garden or access to God in the same way and there's brokenness of relationship and there's brokenness in creation. But as God begins to work with his people, he commands them to observe a Sabbath. And I believe that the Sabbath is intended to be kind of an echo, a ripple or a reminder of what life was intended to be like in the Garden of Eden as a reminder to be continually setting aside a day to remember that we weren't made for here, that this is not home, that home is Eden. So Sabbath is this echo about the rest of God. I think that's beautiful. Now, although Sabbath is, um, is about uh, rest, it's about more than that. And we see in Deuteronomy, this is what it says also about the Sabbath. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So so what we see here is that we do celebrate the Sabbath as a day of rest, but it's also intended to be a day where we remember that, that we were once captive to something, that we were once slaves to something, that God has set us free, that God set Israel free on a Sabbath. That's when the Passover started. 
So the Sabbath is intended to be both about rest and about freedom. It's about rest and liberation. And the Sabbath was what day of the week? Who knows what day of the week Sabbath is? Saturday. We often, we, we worship usually on Sundays because uh, that's the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. But Sabbath is traditionally on, on Saturday. It's from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. And it's intended to be a day with no work. It's only about rest and renewal, a day of worship, a day to dedicate yourself to the Lord. There's a Hebrew word for Sabbath, Shabbat, which means to cease or to stop. So the seventh day is supposed to be the day that we Shabbat, that we stop and cease from our work and striving, our our need to produce or perform, and just rest and find freedom. Doesn't that sound really good? Like, I know that we don't like to be legalistic and we don't like to be like, oh, we have to follow all the rules. But like, the idea of the Sabbath is a gift. And it's something that I think every single one of us longs for. We long for that idea that we can just sit in Eden and rest and be free of our sin, be free of our striving, and just be in the presence of God. I love that. I wish that we kind of forced each other to Sabbath more today. See, we have a weekend, but the idea of a Sabbath rest was not common at this time. It's not common in other religions. It wasn't common in other places. But the Sabbath was literally given as a gift to the people of Israel to be in the presence of God and to take a break from striving and from working. And in today's text, we are going to see that Jesus is going to get kind of into a bit of a disagreement with one of the religious leaders about the Sabbath. So we just want to take a little bit of time to explore what the Sabbath means, which is what we've done. It's this idea about shalom, which is a holistic word that means wholeness and completeness. It means right relationship. It means prosperity. It means shalom. And that's what we were created for. So that's what the intention of Sabbath was. But at the time of Jesus, it had kind of evolved into something else. It was still a really big deal. And it wasn't a question of whether or not you observed Sabbath. You did Sabbath. All, everyone in, in Israel would Sabbath. It was just part of the culture and part of the social rhythm. And every week you prepared for the Sabbath. And every week you participated in the Sabbath. If you're a big football fan, it's kind of like you spent all week preparing for one thing, one game, and you do research, and you study, and you prep, and you, you do all these things, and then one day you participate in something that is a ritual and a rhythm and just part of your way of life on that Sunday, and you're, you're just there. That's kind of what Sabbath was. And, and after the exile, the Jewish leaders became so, like, they, they just wanted to follow every rule so well. And I really believe that the, the um, misunderstanding about Sabbath originally came out of really good intentions of just wanting to follow God's law really well, but they became so focused on each little detail that they missed the point. The fourth commandment had become legalistic and harsh, and, and it was way more about how little can you do on the Sabbath to prove your pious righteousness? How much can you prove to your neighbor that you did less work than them? How can you earn your own righteousness by just setting everything aside and making it a show? This is the backdrop for something awesome that Jesus does. Jesus is about to take this broken ritual and he's about to start restoring the world through Sabbath. It's a big statement. 
Okay, we're going to pick up, we're in a series in Luke. We kind of go in and out of Luke uh, in between other series that we do. And so we're in Luke right now, and we're in Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 10. And this is called in my Bible, Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath. On a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called to her. He called her forward and said, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on one of those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, You hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all of the wonderful things that he was doing. What a beautiful story. I love Jesus. I love it when, when we get to talk and think about things like this that Jesus did. Okay, let's kind of dive into it and look at a few of the verses and kind of uh, observe some things in the text. I'm going to start at verse 10. So on the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in the synagogues. A woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. 18 years. Last week, John touched on what it was like to live with chronic pain and hardship and illness Whatever it is that kind of makes you feel crippled, whatever makes you feel bound. And the first thing that I want to note is that even after 18 years of this woman being in this condition, that she appears to be faithfully following God. She's not bitter. She doesn't appear to be angry. She is attending synagogue. She's learning. She's growing. She's worshiping. And even after 18 years of feeling unseen, she was seen by God. She knew that she wasn't forgotten. As I mentioned earlier, I've watched Christina experience more than 18 years of chronic pain and illness. And for someone to remain faithful and fight off the bitterness and the anger and the resentment that can come from the isolation and the pain of chronic illness is not something to just gloss over. It's commendable and it's beautiful. And so for 18 years of following God through hardship, something that is something just amazing and worth mentioning. So we want to we honor this crippled woman and the 18 years of faithfulness that she spent following God before Jesus intercedes. Second, do you see what, what happens next in verse 12? It says, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward. I love that she doesn't approach Jesus in this scenario. A lot of times in the healings, we see people approaching Jesus and asking for things. But this woman isn't asking for anything. She's just there. And Jesus sees her. And I think that's actually a beautiful metaphor for our faith. A lot of times we think it's us calling out to God or us approaching God or us bringing our burdens, our stones, our requests to God. But really, the first thing that happens is that God saw you and God saw me and he called to us. And that God is the initiator. I love that God initiates this healing. Because I want you to know that God sees you. 
And whatever burden you're carrying, whatever you feel is bending you over to the place where you can't stand up straight, uh, a weight that you cannot carry, I want you to know that God sees you in that. And he's calling to you today. And this woman, she responds. She takes a step of faith and trust and comes to Jesus when he calls. And my prayer is that we may have such trust and faith in Jesus. Okay, moving a little bit further in the text. Even though Jesus mentions Satan in this, in this text, this, is not, this doesn't appear to be an exorcism. It doesn't seem like she is possessed by a demon. This is a healing. This is a liberation event. This is being liberated from pain. This is being freed from chronic illness. When Jesus casts out Satan or, or um, exercises demons, there's always a rebuke. There's always a rebuke, and it's normally followed by some kind of physical, uncontrolled response, like seizures or, or something like that. But here, it says, Joel Green says it like this. It says, this does not necessarily mean that Luke regards her as demon-possessed, but it does underscore his more general perspective on the inseparability of the physical malady and the diabolic influence, and thus on the inseparability of healing and liberation. See, here, there isn't a rebuke, there's an invitation. There isn't involuntary convulsions, there's a healing. We see a return to Eden, the way God created, the way God wanted things to be, a a restoration. Can you see how Jesus is putting the world back together through Sabbath? He's making Sabbath right. Not the Sabbath according to Jewish customs and traditions, but a return to the original intent of Sabbath. But the synagogue leader, he's not enjoying it. He's not having any of it. uh, Because he's part of the group that's really concerned about following the letter of the law. Like splitting hairs on what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. So he doesn't even address Jesus. He addresses the people and he kind of appeals to them to be like, couldn't you come on one of the other days to be healed? Jesus, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? And when we start to see the intent of the Sabbath, can we see how backwards that is? The Sabbath is about wholeness and shalom and restoration. And he's getting upset over a healing on the Sabbath because it feels like work. How backwards is that? We just celebrated St. Patrick's Day. Did anyone wear green? Okay, who did not wear green? That was me. I also did not wear green. Um, And so here's the thing. St. Patrick's Day started as a day when a guy named Patrick went to Ireland and he shared the good news of Jesus and a lot of people were saved. And uh, there's a great documentary. It's done by VeggieTales. You should all watch that. Uh, Love that one. And and so St. Patrick's Day started as a day to honor and celebrate that St. Patrick brought the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to a nation, and that many people met Jesus. Now, I don't know, but I bet that wasn't part of our our St. Patrick's Day celebration. In fact, I remember that when I was a kid, it was like, you had to wear green, and in school, If you didn't wear green, there was a good chance you were going to get pinched by one of your friends. Did that happen to anyone else? Or maybe punched. And it was kind of like if you weren't wearing green, it was an invitation to be bullied and harassed and and mocked mercilessly, normally by your friends um, and sometimes by others as well. But can you see how the intention of St. Patrick's Day and the practice that it has become are two completely different things? And that's what had happened with Sabbath. It was intended to be one thing. And tradition and rituals had turned it into something completely different. 
They had forgotten the intention of the Sabbath. And so there's this power struggle between Jesus and the synagogue leader. I love the First Nations translation of much of the Bible, and I love kind of how it describes it. It, it always translates Jesus' name as creator sets free. And I think that's a great name for Jesus in our story today. In verse 14, it says, The head man of the gathering house was offended because creator sets free had healed on the day of resting. How crazy is that? The creator sets free had actually set someone free and was trying to get rebuked for it. So backwards. Jesus says, hypocrite, you are wearing false faces. It's a double standard. You're playing a part. Joel B. Green, uh, he writes it like this. He says, if an animal, how much more a daughter of Abraham? If one whom you have bound for a few hours, how much more one whom Satan has bound for 18 years? If you can loose the bonds of an animal on the Sabbath, as well as the other six days of the week, how much more necessary for God to loose this woman's bond on the Sabbath? And not that it's about um, getting the crowd's approval, but you can see that the people here, they respond with delight. And they're delighted because I believe that there's something in us that kind of innately recognizes Eden, recognizes where we belong and how things are supposed to be. Think that there's something in us that even though we live in this broken world, we can understand when things are right, when things are whole. And so they respond that way. I like to think sometimes, what would we be doing if we were still in the Garden of Eden right now? What would we be doing? It says that they had great relationship with each other, that they walked with God in the cool of the day. What do you think we're going to do when we get to heaven? What do you think we're going to do? I believe that those are the things that we're actually called to do on Sabbath. I think Sabbath is supposed to be a reminder of what Eden was like and an anticipation of what heaven's going to be like. I believe that Sabbath, it kind of starts off like this. I believe it's a thread that ties all of these things together. That there's a thread that started on the seventh day of creation when God rested and then he, he kind of echoes that through Sabbath for thousands of years. And that on Sabbath, we're supposed to have a reminder of what Eden was intended to be like. And that that thread kind of ties those things together. And then when Jesus comes, the kingdom of God starts advancing. And we see how that same thread kind of ties together with the kingdom of God or with heaven to come. And that Sabbath is supposed to link these two things and is a reminder of not just what happened, but a reminder of what's to come as well. And so I think Sabbath is supposed to remind us not just of Eden, but of heaven as well. Sabbath is an invitation to experience life without striving. When you are made whole, when you are made complete. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus uh, gets in trouble for, for working on the Sabbath. Earlier in Luke, there, there's kind of two stories. One is Jesus walking in a field with his disciples, and they, they pick some grain, and they, they rub it in their hands, and they eat the kernels. And they're rebuked for harvesting on the Sabbath. Okay, how crazy is that? Harvesting. And I love to think about it this way, because here you have, you have people who are in good relationship, and they're walking with Jesus, they're walking with God, and it sounds to me a little bit like the Garden of Eden, just walking in the cool of the day with God. And that's what they're doing. And Jesus, in this story, he declares himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. There's another story in Luke chapter 6 where a man who said his hand is shriveled 
And on a different Sabbath day, Jesus calls him to stretch out his hand, and his hand is healed. And Jesus is again criticized for doing a healing on the Sabbath. But what Jesus is doing, he's doing Sabbath work on the Sabbath. He's making things whole. He's making things complete. He's bringing shalom the way it was intended to be and the way that Jesus is going to make it one day again. He's giving people rest from their burdens and allowing them to be whole. Where they're lacking, he is filling. In fact, he's filling cups to overflowing. I love that image. And today we see him healing this bent-over woman. Jesus' portrayal of his divine mission is one of setting people free. That's what Jesus did. He came to set people free. God is putting the world back together through Sabbath. That's what Jesus does, and I believe that that's what the Sabbath is about. Setting people free, inviting them to Eden, to experience Jesus. In fact, Jesus has an invitation in Matthew chapter 11. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Sabbath is a really big deal, and I think it's ironic that Jesus is breaking the so-called rules on the Sabbath, but also inviting us into Sabbath. There's a quote that, that I read from N.T. Wright that's kind of made a, made a lot of this make sense to me, and I've been thinking about it a lot. It says, you get the point about untying the animal and untying the woman. But what is he saying about her? First, that she is a daughter of Abraham. Second, that she's been tied up for 18 years by the Satan, the one who has Israel as a whole in his grip, the one against whom Jesus has won an initial victory. But suddenly, a new light dawns. What Jesus is doing for this poor woman is what he is longing to do for Israel as a whole. The enemy, the accuser, has Israel in his power these many years, and Jesus' kingdom message is the only thing that can set her free. But Israel's insistence on tight boundaries, including rigid application of Sabbath law, is preventing it from happening. Unless the kingdom message heals her, there is no hope. I love that line, suddenly new light dawns. What Jesus is doing for this woman, he longs to do for Israel and he longs to do for us. Healing sets people free and it breaks the bonds and the chains that make us feel, that make us feel tied to something, that make us feel weighed down, that make us feel like things are impossible. But when we get a taste and we get a glimpse of Eden and we get a taste and we get a glimpse of the kingdom to come, it makes those things bearable and we have hope and we see the future. See, Jesus is actually the walking around Sabbath rest of God. Okay? I'm going to let that just take a second to, like, sink in. Jesus is the Sabbath rest of God. Wherever Jesus goes, Sabbath is happening. People are finding rest. People are being freed. People are being restored. Shalom is wherever Jesus goes. He is the walking around Sabbath rest of God. To say it differently, everything Sabbath was pointing for thousands of years to Jesus, to just being with Jesus. God is putting the world back together through Sabbath. How many of us have felt bent over by sin and illness, by chronic pain, by sin, by finances, by something beyond your control, by circumstances happening to you that seem so awful 
that just beat you down. It says that she was bound, and many things bind us today and cripple us. It could be finances or sexual sin or anger, bitterness, mental health issues, addiction, oppression. Jesus is calling and inviting us to bring those things to him. He is calling you the same way he called the woman, and she responded by coming forward, by coming forward in faith. Jesus is calling us today with all of our burdens and our messes and the things about us that we don't like or that we wish we could change. He's calling us with our circumstances that make it seem like, oh, I could never do this or I'm not good enough. Jesus is calling you with all of those things and he is a God of healing, of making broken things new, of making bent things straight. Joseph Mann is a pastor and he wrote, We can announce the good news that Christ Jesus sees and knows our burdens and illnesses. We can be set free even on the Sabbath, for such is the work of the Lord. We only give praise, praise that we are made whole in Jesus Christ, praise that we can participate in this healing work. All of us stand before God as broken sinners, unable to straighten up. In the church, we confess our humanity, or sorry, our human condition, and create solidarity with all like us who are broken. We all celebrate that the eyes of Christ are upon us. In the fellowship of the church, we are called and touched and embraced. We create solidarity with all alike who are like us and are broken. Church, we are broken. Like, when we hear our stories, Linda talked about it a little bit. When we get to here, we all have brokenness in our lives. And Jesus wants us to bring those things to him, to lay those things down before him. Jesus is reinventing the Sabbath. In fact, it's better to say he's returning the Sabbath to what it was intended to be. A Sabbath that points to Eden and points to the kingdom of God. Jesus is inaugurating the kingdom of God in a way that is very practical and real. See, the kingdom of God is coming and it's kind of breaking into our world. And I, and I love this analogy of Jesus coming in and bringing Eden and bringing the kingdom of God and pushing it in and advancing it and bringing the kingdom into our world and just pushing in. The kingdom of God is making headway and it looks like Eden and it looks like heaven breaking into our world and, and they overlap And we live in this weird time where we have elements that are both the old kingdom, where there is death, where there's pain, where there's suffering, where there's crippled women for 18 years. But we also live in a time where there is new life, where there is forgiveness, where there's shalom, where God is making all things new and there's no death, there's only life, there's only goodness and hope. And we live with kind of a foot in each of these kingdoms. But I want you to know that this kingdom is real and it's here and it's with us today and God wants us to experience it because he can forgive your sins. He can make you whole. Whenever we have stories about the Bible and healings, it's important to um, address that although God does heal and do miraculous things, not experiencing healing is not a sign that your faith is too weak or that it's something that you've done wrong When you don't experience the miracle that you pray for, it does not mean that you are the problem. For 18 years, this woman was faithfully following God. Some of you might know the story of Joni Erickson Tata. 
She was, uh, when she was 17 year old, years old in the 60s, she dove one summer day into a body of water and it was much more shallow than she anticipated and she broke her spine. And for 50 years, she's been paralyzed from the shoulders down. She was often prayed for. Elders came and prayed for her. She confessed sin. People anointed her with oil and she prayed and prayed, but her healing never came. She battled suicidal thoughts, she battled anxiety, she battled depression, and she battled doubts about the goodness of God. And she writes this about unanswered prayer. She says, He has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. This shouldn't stop us from praying that not everyone gets healed but that God's rest would come and put an end to suffering. We do pray for these things, whether a miracle or through medicine. We pray that God will be putting the world back together, and we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. N.T. Wright kind of explains this like this, and he describes it like this. He says, heaven and earth meet in the spirit when someone calls on the name of the Lord, and it means what it means. And it does what it does because God's new time has broken into the continuing time of this sad old world so that the person by praying stands with one foot in the place of trouble, sickness, and sin and with the other foot in the place of healing, forgiveness, and hope. It's the now and the not yet. And so we live in this sad old world with one foot here and one foot here. And to be honest... I know that for, for Christina, we literally prayed for decades. We've been praying not just for what her surgery is going to be, but other health issues she has for decades. For this woman in our story, it was 18 long years. For Paul, we know that he had a thorn in his flesh, and we don't know what that was, but he prayed, and the Lord did not remove it. So stories of people living with pain and disease and broken bodies and broken hearts and, and mental health issues and, and with things that are just like, if we could get rid of that, everything would be so much better. If only this one thing were fixed, everything would be good. We experience these things, and to be honest, um, I know the, the right pastory answers, I know as Christians how we answer those questions about why God doesn't heal. And I want you to know, after, after walking with Christina, after walking alongside someone who's experienced pain for a long time, I have to say that a lot of times those answers feel trite and simplistic, and they can even feel patronizing. But I want you to know that God sees you in your pain. God knows you, and he sees you. And I know that at least for, for my story with Christina, the promise of a new resurrection body means everything. That there is hope in that. Okay, let's get back to Sabbath. Uh, because we live in this in-between time, practicing Sabbath is something we still need to do. Still something that we're called to do. Not in a legalistic, ritualistic way, but in a way that is about celebrating and giving life. It's about sharing time and having meals together. Christians have done this for two 2,000 years together. Now, self-care isn't necessarily how the Bible describes Sabbath, but I think self-care is a byproduct of Sabbath. When your world is broken, you need the gift of Sabbath. You need the gift of Sabbath. As a pastor who works on Sundays, I've found it helpful to Sabbath from uh, kind of the traditional Jewish Sabbath, just because it works from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. 
I love that I actually can still work on both those days and still feel like I'm Sabbathing because I'm kind of a, a, a person that likes to perform and produce things. And if I don't produce things, I feel like I'm like wasting my life. So for me, I know that I can do work and I can accomplish things on Friday morning. And then Friday night comes and I'm resting and I'm resting Saturday. And if things come up on Saturday I have to do, I know I can do them in the evening. And that's actually been really freeing for me. I don't do this perfectly all the time. I, I make mistakes with it. But this is part of something I'm trying to create in my rhythm, in my routine. And I find that when I actually Sabbath, that I'm able to see that rest and freedom of God throughout the week in other areas of my life. It's, part of, it's something I'm trying to make as part of my rhythm. So I think that the ironic takeaway for us today is that even though Jesus is breaking the rules, not really, but he's breaking the rules of Sabbath, that he's actually calling us to Sabbath, not in a harsh way, but in a way that is about experiencing the rest and the freedom of God. Where do you need to experience rest and freedom? Jesus invited the woman and he invites you into his Sabbath rest. He said again in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are wounded and weary, and I will give you rest. It looks like you being put back together. It looks like having a time each week where you know that your cup is going to be filled, where filled, where you can rest from coveting and lust and people-pleasing and worry and fear and bitterness and addiction and media and romance. And you, you are free from these things and you are only focused on things that fill your cup, things that bring you into the presence of God, that bring you into community. It's about enjoying art and creation and music and relationships and scripture and worship. I want to invite the worship team to come up. As always, we have a wonderful prayer team, like Linda talked about, that would love to pray with you today. There might be something you came with that has nothing to do with what I said today. And if there's something in your heart, I would encourage you to come either to the front or to the prayer room that's in the back. I know that for me, sometimes coming to the front is intimidating. I've always been the person that uses the prayer room by pretending to go to the bathroom and then making a left turn to the prayer room. And so if that's you, that is perfectly acceptable. I invite you to stand with me. It's almost Easter. Jesus died on a Friday. He was raised to life on a Sunday. And on the Saturday, his body Sabbathed. His body rested. Imagine what it would be like for you, for your body, for your soul, for your mind, your spirit to have a day of rest. A day of rest and a day of freedom. Imagine how your weeks might look differently if you just had a little bit of time, whether it's a six-hour chunk or a 24-hour period or just a, a little bit of time where you intentionally Sabbathed in the presence of God. For me, yesterday, the best part of my Sabbath was sitting on my back deck when it was sunny out, eating a bagel and drinking a cup of coffee. And it was just a time when my, my soul was filled and my spirit was filled, just doing something simple like that with no other pressures. Imagine how our weeks would look different if we spent time with Jesus every week intentionally. Jesus invites you now to experience his rest and his freedom. Don't brush it off. Don't, get, don't just say, oh, I would love to Sabbath, but I'm too busy. I would encourage you to get creative and think about how you might still be able to do this. Parents, it's really hard to Sabbath when you have kids. Maybe you just need to trade off 
And one of you Sabbaths on a Friday night and the next one Sabbaths on a Saturday night or something like that. If you're retired, maybe part of your job is to help young families Sabbath. Maybe you're supposed to watch their kids to give parents a break and a rest. But I want you to know that Jesus is inviting all of us to experience this rest, so don't brush it off. If Chick-fil-A can Sabbath, we can too. We're about to sing a song, and one of the verses says this. It says, there's hope for the hopeless and all who have strayed. Come sit at the table. Come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, a rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So Lord, we come to you in prayer today and we, we, confess, we confess that we have been legalistic with Sabbath and we've also taken it way too loosely, God. I pray that you would give us the proper balance of what it means to seek rest and to seek freedom in your presence, God. As we, as we think of Eden and as we look to heaven, God, may, may Sabbath be a reminder of how you intended us to live our lives. May Sabbath be a reminder of what you desire for us. We need you to restore us today. So Lord, we bring our burdens, we bring our sin, we bring our concerns, we bring our worries, we bring our circumstances that just make no sense but drive us crazy. We bring them all to you today, Jesus. We ask that you would put our worlds back together through Sabbath rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.